So the Wild Game Banquet Men is this Wednesday at 6 o'clock here. It's going to be a wonderful opportunity. and So I'll just pray the Lord will bless it. Well, let's, uh, let's pray for that, please. Lord, we thank you for the privilege of uh, presenting the gospel to people. Uh, it is the means by which men are saved is the preaching and the teaching of Christ. Um, so, so we ask that you would bless this event and you would stir our hearts to be prayerful and to be aggressive in inviting folks. Uh, be honored, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're in First Thessalonians, First Thessalonians, and um, we're in chapter one, verses four through eight. So here are the scripture, First Thessalonians, chapter one, verse four through eight. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that He has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not merely with words. But with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction or full assurance. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. In spite of severe suffering, you welcomed the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it. Well, here's this church at Thessalonica. This is probably the first or the second letter Paul wrote in his apostolic ministry early in the history of the church, and he, he, he says, first of all, you are in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's your identification. That's who you are. You are in Him. You're in Christ. And as you understand your identification and you build on that, he says, then grace and peace cascade down into your lives. The, the unmerited favor of Christ is continually in your vision, and, and the shalom or the peace or the well-meaning of God comes into your life. And then he says, and as you, as you understand that and as you operate out of the base of thankful worship that is God-centered and, and glories in the cross, as you do that, you're marked by these graces. You have a, a work produced by faith, you have a labor prompted by love, and you have an endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. And, and then he says, as all of these things happen, he says, I, you became a model to all the churches in Asia Minor. You became a model. And, and, and he says, you became a model because two things we'll look at this morning. Number one, you received the apostolic teaching or you received the gospel, not merely as words. It's got to be words, not merely as factual realities, but you received the gospel, the apostolic message, with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with full assurance. Number one, you received the gospel, the, the message. N- number two, you had role models that were imitatable, and you followed their example. And because of that, you put yourself in a position 
to where the message could explode from you to everyone else. What, what a great statement. And, and so you look at this, this passage, and my thesis statement is this. When the Word of God comes with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction, and there are role models in this, in this particular instance, there's Paul, Timothy, and Silas, there are role models who are imitatable, then the church is in a place or a position to be used of God. You're in a place where the message rings out. This is what he says. And so you became a model to all the churches, all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out or exploded from you everywhere. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it. So let's look at these two, these, these two markers. As one translation says, your lives are echoing the master's words. So how, how can we sound forth the glories of Christ to people around us? As, as a called out body of believers, how can we sound it out? Number one. We know, we know, brothers loved of God, that God has chosen you. Another way of looking at this passage is, how do you know that God has has worked in your heart and chosen you? We know, brothers loved by God, that you're elected of God. Because our gospel came to you not merely with words, but with power, with the Holy Spirit, with full assurance or Deep conviction. The power of the Spirit. The Word came with power. We call that the illuminating power of the Holy Spirit. Or we call that the internal witness of the Holy Spirit. In other words, it's it's the same as in conversion. When you come to faith in Christ. The gospel is preached. The Holy Spirit works. And when there is a synergism between the proclaimed message of the cross... And the power of the Holy Spirit, you have men and women converted to Jesus. The word is preached, the Spirit comes in conviction. I mentioned a few weeks ago, C.S. Lewis leaves his house, gets on a motorcycle to go to the zoo. He says, when I left my house, I did not believe Jesus was Messiah King. When I got to the zoo, I believed Jesus was the eternal Son of God who, who, who died for my sins. Boom. Augustine, another well-known Christian, died in about 430. Augustine was struggling. He had been through these philosophical statements. He was a PhD in rhetoric and about who is this Jesus. And his mother prayed for him for decades. And he had been involved in a group called the Manichees and had been involved in a riotous, immoral lifestyle. And he just struggled and struggled and struggled and he had he'd heard the message, but, but, but he was in his garden one day and he was struggling with his life and about the, the gospel message. And he was sitting there and he was in despair. And he heard a little voice over the wall playing a hopscotch game saying, pick it up and read. Pick it up and read. And Augustine gets up and he goes over to, to a scroll where this, the, the book of Romans. And he, and he just kind of picks up where he left off. And it's Romans 13. It says, But clothe yourselves in the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the lust of the flesh, basically. And Augustine said, God used that to go boom. He said that. The word conviction came. 
See, that's the way it worked. Look at this statement by John Calvin. It says, For as God alone is a fit witness of himself in his word, so also the word will not find acceptance in men's hearts before it is sealed by the inward testimony of his spirit. You see, the reason, if you're Christ's follower, you receive the word is because God works in your heart by his spirit. It's a glorious thing. J.I. Packer says this, a healing, this inner witness is a healing of spiritual faculties. It is a restoring to man of a permanent receptiveness towards divine things. It is a giving and sustaining of power to recognize and receive the divine utterances as for what they are. And he says it even better in another article I found after this. He, he said this, the internal witness of the spirit is a work of enlightenment whereby through the verbal testimony, the preached word, the blind eyes are opened and divine realities come to be recognized and embraced for what they are. Now listen. John Calvin said this was immediate and unanalyzable. That you couldn't bottle it. God by his spirit rushes in and he makes us alive. He teaches us. It's the grace of God. The, the, the hymnist spoke of this in conversion, but the, the hymnist, for example, Wesley, just Charles Wesley has been a, a believer for just less than a year. And he wrote my favorite hymn, And Can It Be? But he says this, Long my imprisoned spirit lie, fast bound by sin and nature's night. Thine eye, God's eye, diffused a quickening ray. Boom! I woke the dungeon flame with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. It's called grace. It is called the grace of the living God by the power of the Spirit rushes in and, and does this work. It is glorious. A passage that people go, what is this passage? I think, it's, I think it's not hard to understand. First John chapter 2. Listen. Verse 20. But you have an anointing from the Holy One. That's the internal work of the Holy Spirit, I think. Anointing from the Holy One. And all of you know the truth. Now, what's he talking about? The truth. Two verses later. Who is a liar? It is the man who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a man is the Antichrist. He denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son also has the Father. So, so the anointing we have that teaches us the truth is this. Jesus is the Lord of all glory. He is eternal God. He's Messiah King. And that's why I could say later in, in the same passage, verse 27, as for you, the anointing you receive from him remains in you and you do not need anyone to teach you. Teach you what? That Jesus is Messiah because when the Lord saves you, you have that conviction ground in your heart. He is almighty God and King. And, and, and so 
we know, dearly beloved, that God has chosen you. Because this gospel came not merely with words and epistemological exercise and linguistics, but it came to you in power, in the Holy Spirit, and with full assurance. He is Lord. You said, and this is the word of God. He saved me. It's it's glorious. The internal witness of the Spirit. We know. That's why there's this prayer in Ephesians 1 for the ongoing enlightenment of the Holy Spirit. We should pray this prayer frequently. Paul says, I pray that God may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you and the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his surpassing greatness to all those who believe. See, our prayer should be, Lord, by your Holy Spirit, teach me the wonder and the beauty of Christ. As I open the Bible as your follower, give me a deeper understanding. Come, Holy Spirit. Show me, teach me. And that's why in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, he says this, verse 19, do not quench or put out the Holy Spirit's fire. Don't, don't, don't put out the Holy Spirit's fire, church at Thessalonica. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. And we'll deal with that in a few couple months. But, but, but for right now, what, what he's saying is this, is that you put out the Holy Spirit's fire in your life by treating the Word of God in a haughty fashion. But by saying, well, I know the Bible says this, but I'm not going to live that way. When you do that, you quench the Holy Spirit. When God, by His Spirit, as you're reading the Bible, points a finger at you and He says, you do this. And you say, no, you're quenching the Holy Spirit. You're grieving the Spirit. We know, brothers... That God has chosen you because when you received the word, you received it with power in the Holy Spirit, with deep conviction. And because of that, you became a model to all the churches in Asia Minor. The word of God rang out from you because of the way you received the word of God. I was meditating this week, trying to memorize a passage in Proverbs 6. It says this, uh, my, my son, obey your father's commands. And, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Uh, when you walk, they will guide you. When you sleep, they will speak to you. Hmm. When you wake up, no, when you, when you sleep, they'll watch over you. When you wake up, they'll speak to you. F- for these commands are a lamp. And this teaching is a light. And the corrections of discipline are the way of life. Whoa, whoa. In the day of the writer of Proverbs, you know, there was very little oil around. So to say this is a lamp is a huge statement that lights your path. These teachings, he's talking about the wisdom literature. He didn't, he didn't have a full understanding of who, who Christ was. He says, these teachings are, are a lamp or commands are a lamp. This teaching is the light and the corrections of discipline are the way of life. And I said, Lord, do not let me Treat your prophecy with contempt. Forgive me. 
Because I don't want to quench the Holy Spirit in my life. And I want to be part of a group of people that can be a, a role model for, 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 for other churches who say, we are going for it in the name of Jesus. Let good and, goods and kindred go. This mortal life also, the body they may kill. But God's truth abide the seal. Still, that's what Luther said. I want to go for it. Give me the word of God. Teach it. Sing it. Memorize it. Love it. Give me the word that points to Jesus. You see, the way I understand it is this. God has to fall like fire from heaven. Revival is the work of God. Conversion is the work of God. I mean, taking the scripture and making it vibrant is the work of God. But here, I've got to be very clear that the kindling of my life is dry and ready to go. That I, I, I've got to remove any obstacles and I don't, I don't pour, I don't, I don't pour water on it. I'm going to pour gasoline on it. So if there's any spark that comes down, boom, pow, there's ignition. I want to make sure that, that, that I've dealt with my sins, and I have a lot to deal with. That I, I've dealt with my relational issues. That, that, that I'm, I'm doing the things that I should do because I'm going to say, Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on me. The kindling is here. The, the kind, so deal with your stuff. You know, part of the things I need, I should not quench the Spirit by despising the prophecies. Great story this past week. Super Bowl. The Patriots were ahead 15 to 17. They were driving down the field in the fourth quarter. And there was a, a 50 yard bomb thrown by Tom Brady. And it's just, and you see this huge guy jump up, intercepted the ball and fall to the carpet. And I think his number was 58. And I said, what is he doing back there? He was a linebacker. Didn't really save the game. Won the game for the Giants in, in the end, I think. Here's the story. Linebacker's name is Chase Blackburn. He played for the Giants for four seasons. He was cut last summer. And they said, you have no future with us. They sold their home in the greater New York area. And his wife moved back to Ohio. He didn't have a job. So he was a substitute math teacher at a local elementary school. And on the days he wasn't called in, he would get up at 5 o'clock in the morning and work out for two or three hours because he thought, maybe they'll call me up. Just maybe. And on the days he substituted, he would go home in the day and work out and then come home and take care of two little babies with his wife. November the 28th, the season is at an end. Two linebackers go down for the Giants. They call him and they said to him, are you in shape? And he said, yes, I am. Pack your bags. Five days later, he's the starting middle linebacker for the New York Giants. Two games later, he inter intercepts a pass thrown by Aaron Rodgers, I think the best quarterback in football. And he goes to the Super Bowl, and he's supposed to have coverage. Just, this bore some of you. But he's supposed, to have, he's supposed to have coverage over the middle as a linebacker, and he's covering a six-foot-seven tight end. He's only 6'3". He's, he's a short guy. Okay? He's only 6'3". The, the tight end is 6'7". He's got middle coverage. But when, when the quarterback goes out of the pocket, the tight end kept drifting downfield until he's 50 yards past the line of scrimmage. I mean, you're not a line. Linebackers are never back there unless they're lost. <laughs> he was ready. 
Talking about me? Are you in shape? Are you ready to go? If the fire falls from heaven, is your kindling ready? So that is a good illustration. <laughs> I, mean, yeah, I mean, I know you guys always say I'm tired, I'm tired of football. You know, I've, I've been through a week of sadness because we have no football until August. But I mean, um, that 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 illustration works. You got to admit it works. So, oh, good. All right, all right. Secondly, you know. So, so we know that you know. He says, he says you, you know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord in spite of severe suffering. You welcomed the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> you know how we lived for your sake. 1 Corinthians 11.1 1 says, Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. Imitators. Hebrews 13. Oh, that's, there's a picture. I'm sorry. I forgot to show that. Darn. So, remember that makes it okay. Hebrews 13. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Imitate. We get our word mimic from the Greek word Imitate. Some people say, well, I'm just not a role model. If you're a Christ follower, you are a role model. Jesus said to the church at large in Matthew 5, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Peter writes to the church in a cyclical letter called a general epistle in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12. He says this, live such good lives among the pagans or non-believers that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. Think about this passage, thinking about the qualifications for elders and pastors and 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. And every time I pray through those lists, I come away saying, you know, this is, this is what the normal Christian life looks like. This is not qualifications for Superman. It, it's what a Christian life should look like. I mean, this biography of Augustine by Brown, and there's a man named Ambrose who is a great preacher who, whose preaching helped convert Augustine. And Augustine asked him a question. He said, Ambrose said this, he can only teach me to do what he himself did. For if you know, knew of any better rule, he would have observed it. I thought, what a statement. I'm just teaching you what I know to be true. If I knew something better, I'd teach you that. What a, what a statement about consistent leadership. And, and so I, 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 just, I just went through this and I, sometimes I... I think of what I call 20-second elevator statements. You go in an elevator, somebody punches fifth floor, and they ask you a question, you have 20 seconds. And so I, th- I thought, you know, what, what is a biblical leader based upon these passages? What, what does it look like to have an imitatable lifestyle? And I'll, I'll expand, but I could give them to you in 20 seconds. But number one is they're, they're, you're saturated with the glory of Christ and the wonder of the cross. That just saturates your life. You're, you're incredibly God-centered. I gave 
a quote to some guys Friday morning says, Jack Miller says, remember, you have, you only have one leader. His name is Jesus. That's why I love 1 Corinthians 11. Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. So if you're going to be a leader in the home, in the church, in the community, in your business, whatever, if you're going to, if you're a God called leader, you need to get very, very close to Christ and be saturated with the glory and the wonder of the cross and be God-centered. John Calvin, his biographer said this about John Calvin. For, for, for John Calvin, who died in 1564, okay, for John Calvin, the need for the Reformation was fundamentally this. Rome had destroyed, he says, this is a quote from his biographer, had destroyed the glory of Christ in many ways by calling upon the saints to intercede when Jesus Christ is the only mediator between God and man. But by worshiping, in Calvin's opinion, the, the blessed virgin when Christ alone should be worshiped. By offering a continual sacrifice in the mass when the sacrifice of Christ upon the cross is complete and sufficient, close quote. Another says, by elevating tradition to the level of Scripture and even making the Word of God dependent for its authority on the Word of man. This is one of the great divisions in the Reformation was that the Roman Catholic Church says the church gives you the Word and the Reformers says, no, God alone gives you the Word. The church doesn't sanction it, God alone gives it. And, and, and see, see, for, for, for Calvin, the central fo- focus was the glory of Jesus, the wonder of Christ. And he wrote in one of his commentaries, in Hebrews, it says, how, how comes it that we're carried away by so many strange doctrines? Hebrews 13, verse 9, his answer, because the excellence and glory of Christ is not perceived by us. So if, I just, if I'm to be a leader that's imitatable, I've got to be mesmerized by the glory and wonder of Christ. Secondly, in these passages, leaders are just approachable. They're humble. They're teachable. They're not pugilistic. So, so the, the second thing is you, you continually get rid of idols in your life. And it's, it's, a, it's a daily work by treasuring repentance. You're just a repenting person. You get rid of idols. Thirdly, you watch your life and your doctrine. This is that in the next chapter, 1 Timothy 4. It's your life, but it's also your doctrine. It's your doctrine, but it's also your life. And fourthly, you love people, which means that the eternal realities burn deep in you. Let me just say this. It is so easy. It is so easy to become blind to the reality of heaven and the horror of hell. It is easy to forget that people are going to spend eternity in heaven or hell. And, and so you kind of forget that and you get, you get, you get caught up in stuff and, and, and really the evil current of the day will just sweep you further and further and further down the stream. But I, I think people whose lives are imitatable, you know, we've got to be people who hold eternity before us. That's who we've got to be. So, so when, when you receive the word continuously with power, deep assurance, under the anointing 
grace of the Holy Spirit. And, and when you are or when you have leaders who are imitatable, you, you put yourself in a position where God can use you, where the gospel can explode. Man, I want us to be that way. And I, I, I really do. I celebrate. I celebrate um, God's goodness among us. I do. I celebrate men and women who are just faithful. Men and women who, who day after day live out these four realities. They're, they're God-centered. They, they, they watch their life and their doctrine closely. They, they have an eternal understanding of, of heaven and hell. They, they see it. And they, but, but we need that. We need that. And I'm, I'm thankful for your, for your partnership in the gospel. And uh, church, I'm thankful to say today that in God's mercies, um, we have surpassed our lot even goal. You know, um, I've got to tell you that I thought that... Um, yeah. Once again, I'll tell you my lack of faith. Uh, when I, they, people came to me about four months ago, three months ago, missions committee people said, we're praying about our goal. Last year it was 250000 This year we will make it 300000 I said, well, outside I said, oh, man, that's cool. Inside I was going, man, this is economically a bad year. And last year stretched us. And, but I just smiled. And the Lord has been good. So we have surpassed our goal of $300,000. And that uh, is, is, is something to be very thankful for. So thanks be to God. And, uh, and see, when, when, when the Word of God grips the hearts of people and, and a vision for who God is grips their hearts, people give. People give. When you get the vision, you give. So thank you for that.